What's up, Spouse Slakers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Drew Flitton. And I'm Corey Janabagian. And this is Untap, Upkeep, Drink. Beer up. Well, welcome back to another episode of Untap, Upkeep, Drink. Today, we're talking about deck diversity. Ooh. Very important for your meta. And a healthy playgroup. So we're going to be talking about not only what that means for you and your decks, but also what it means for your playgroup, why you want it, maybe why you don't. and uh, Trust me, you want it. Yeah. yeah. And, and also how you achieve that. Yes, yeah, so we're going to be talking about metas and what those mean and how you as a deck builder influences them and what you can do to like improve your meta and what you're doing that hurts your meta, stuff like that. But first, as we usually do... We've got to get into some brewskis and beers. So I was thinking, how can I relate beers into this episode? And one of the big things about diversity is sometimes you have to play cards and decks that you don't like, that you don't uh, play very often. You don't know. And so I was like, why not surprise you guys with beers that you would probably not buy for yourself? Oh, God. (laughs) Sounds like a hell of an episode already. So the first one we have is it Yeti. Ooh. You guys might remember that from another episode. Garyan, that's for you. Yeti special. I am a liar. That one's for Corey. <laughs> Garyan's like, wait, you said that one is for, for Corey. It's the worst beer I've ever had. All right, so the Yeti is from Great Divide. It's one that we've kind of had in the past. All of these beers are kind of uh, harken back to something that we've had previously. Okay. And so, I mean, we've had three Yetis on the show. We did them all at once. And I kind of wanted to see what it, just the normal Yeti was, I was like. Gonna say, they're all derived from this. Yeah, this is the, style, the right? first one, and then they I think they branch off into yep. crazy flavors. So the normal Yeti, uh, just like the other ones, nine point five percent. So she's Oof. a strong <laughs> one. Um, it is an imperial style, so you kind of expect that. And then the IBUs is up there at seventy five. Good luck. She's a bitter one. So right off the bat, you have all of those malty notes. It smells incredibly bitter. A lot of alcohol notes coming too. Sounds like a an imperial stout. Ooh, buddy. Ooh, it is so bitter. So I didn't really drink a lot of imperial stouts before we started doing this. Like I always tried whatever Drew was drinking, and so they're not my favorite. But I think after that Yeti episode, they've grown a lot on me. And so I've also definitely spoiled you with like some oh yeah, of just the, the best stouts. ones, yeah. yeah. And this one is actually pretty good. It's very, very malty, and it's very bitter on the back end. It's kind of like a a coffee bitter, which you'd expect from just a super dark beer like this. It's got that malty sweetness as well. You can't really taste the alcohol, but there's a little bit of that alcohol burn right at the very end. All right, so the next one we have here is for Garyan. Hell yeah. This one sounds good. I'm interested. <clears throat> of all... All the things you dislike about beers. What is hops. the one thing that you hate? Fucking hops. <laughs> but specifically, what kind of flavors? It's it's the resinous, piney hop character. The- Let me introduce you to Winter's <laughs> Rise and Pine. <laughs> this is, this is a hoppy, dark beer. Talk hey, about okay. breaking your meta up. So, so. It's, it's brewed with juniper and piney hops. Gin is also one of my least favorite alcohols. So the UNO Brewing (laughs) Rise and Pine, 73 IBUs, 7.5% ABV, and compared to the Yeti, it is going to have the opposite bitter flavors, the ones that you do not like. (laughs) Let's go. So on the nose already, 
pine is the first thing, just that hop pine resin. So it's a, it's a dark ale, which is interesting. You yep. don't have a lot of those. Okay. I will say it's not nearly as bad as I expected it to be, but I think my big problem with the piney resinous kind of thing is that it's super bitter and it lingers. So it stays in your tongue. I still taste the bitter and it's been 10 seconds, 12 seconds. Uh, it's not a bad tasting beer, but it is extremely hop forward. <laughs> yeah, it smells just like an IPA. <laughs> yeah, yeah it has like kind of the the floral IPA smell. Yeah, and you, there's just like a a little bit of burnt malt kind of characteristics to go along with it. Yeah, you do get some of those just the the IPA sort of characteristics. Those like Drew saying the the floral notes and stuff like that mm-hmm. mixed with the just the maltiness. But instead of like the fresh fruity thing that kind of sometimes balances it for me, it's just got like the darker kind of malty <laughs> flavors, which almost makes it more bitter. So this time I went to the depths of hell <laughs> to bring this one oh back to the show. Bud Light, Bud Light. And Coors. so we have, like I said, all three of these beers are harkening back to things we've had in the show, or at least we had the Doobie uh, from you and as well. On Drew's oh. Brews, definitely one you should check out. Uh, a good. black IPA, but it was actually really good. It was like 100 IBUs or something like that. 90, something yeah, was insane. But it definitely, I felt like, was easier to drink than what the Rising Pine is. I agree. Yeah, and I think it's is. specifically because of the length of, what, uh, what do you call it? The evolution. Like, these piney ones stick with you for ever. Yeah, they just coach your mouth. And so speaking you of those ideas, <laughs> we're bringing back... Park City Brewing. I'm oh, good. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Redemption. I'm kind of stoked for it. I'm, so, I'm hoping that it's different, but I also hope that... There hasn't been a single episode where I've been more apprehensive <laughs> knowing what's coming. You're doing this to yourself. I know. He said I he was know. nervous before the show. I thought it was because we're doing we're trying to ramp up our quality, but no, it's because he's got to drink a Park City beer. <laughs> so Park City Brewing, solid, solid oh, know, yeah. beer company. Every other beer we've had. Yeah. Good. <laughs> but when we tried this one... We had two flavors associated with it. Butter? Which I absolutely hate. There's nothing, there's no food item thing that you ingest that I hate more than butter for every quality of it. And sweat. And then, yeah, we had like which, sweaty sock kind which of. Which Drew loves. I do not like that. <laughs> Especially not to taste. So. If you watched our year wrap up episode, this was unanimously considered the worst beer of last year. <laughs> Uh, so we're starting off this year right. We're coming back to it. The idea is that we're hoping that that beer was just kind of a an anomaly. Right? Yeah, a one-off yeah. bad batch. Hopefully, it was skunked or something. It smells better than I remember. I'll give it that. It smells like like an American pale ale. You know, American hops, a bit malty. God, I, <laughs> I've almost PTSD. taken a sip like three times and just stopped myself. I mean, it looks like a good beer. The color's good. Yeah, it's all it's right. Good. So. We're sorry, Park City. We talked a lot of shit. Hopefully, we just had a bad can. I think we did, because that just tastes like a, a decent American paleo. It's hoppy. It's malty. It's more oh, yeah, than malty. Oh, yeah, that's totally different. Uh, it's 5.6% ABV, and I think it's only like 40 IBUs. Oh, yeah, that's so, delicious. Yeah, so like, <laughs> this is... A- I will say, after after swallowing and then kind of breathing, like that secondary taste, I do get a little bit of like nuttiness, like... 
kind of dry walnutty or like that earthiness. Yeah, it's like an earthy, yeah. and yeah. maybe that's what was like super accentuated because it was no, maybe that was, heated that was up completely different. Yeah, maybe I think that that could have been. One that's of probably what it happened. Is it got stuck in the sun a few times and or then whatever? Someone pissed in it, and and then <laughs> somebody <laughs> dunked it, you know, cleaned it up with their their you know sock, and then just like wrung it out. And then, well, I think what we're saying this is. That, is this is a redemption. Oh, yeah. 100%. And they totally, they totally met the mark. I think that's, I'd, that's, I'd buy that's it. That's what I, I expect out of an American pale ale. Yeah. Like hoppy, a little bit of malty, overall, just like a, a nice, sweetness. balanced beer. Yeah. Park yeah, City, I knew you had it in you. I was just the, bo- the boycott ends here. Yep. Yeah. We're going back. So I think these are three perfect beers for the show. I think you did hella good here, Drew, because these are three vastly different, although all very hoppy beers. Well, that one a little this less. Is, I mean, Souths do have a, a good good hop content, but but uh, we're talking about diversity in decks, so these are perfect beers for what we're talking about. Yeah, also just the general types of beers. We've got a dark, a hoppy dark ale. We've got an imperial stout, and then just a nice American APA. pale. Yes, ale. we, we kind of run all the spectrums. We got one in the middle, and then two on the very ends. Yeah, we, we got yeah. one trying to pretend to be a dark beer, and then. <laughs> Just nice light and nice dark. So let's actually define what we mean by deck diversity. So I think most importantly, it depends on your format, what we're talking about here. I think the thing we should talk about first, just because of this podcast, is EDH. Uh, we actually do a, a deck roulette a lot of the times. Is that, is that what you guys call it? Deck yeah. roulette? Yeah, we just put out, you know, between five or six guys, there might be 30 or 40 decks on the table. You give each one a number and you roll. And the reason you do this is so that you don't play the same game every single time you play. What happens is the more you tune your decks, the more that deck plays a certain way. If you play with the same deck, the games tend to go very similarly. So at least for EDH players, deck diversity a lot of times is specifically for being able to play unique games and being able to have unique interactions each time you play. Yeah, I mean, all that don't agree with, but let's take it one step back from that and just describe what we mean by deck diversity. So deck diversity is just the concept of having as many different decks, like Gary was saying, like 30 or 40 decks that have all different play styles and different things that they do and just having these in your meta and being able to play them. Like some things might be better than others, but just having choices is what deck diversity is all about. Yeah, different cards and different interactions and and literally just different ways that a game can unfold. I think another important way to talk about it is in competitive magic, deck diversity, you try to change things up so that your strategy is harder to be prepared for. So if you come with a deck that's very similar to what everybody else is playing, a lot of the cards that they've used as answers to these decks are going to be answers to your deck. Whereas, you know, like this Hogak Dredge disgusting deck in Modern comes out of nowhere because Dredge was always viable, but it wasn't used very often. So people don't prepare to stop that kind of of a, of a deck. I mean, I feel like Dredge is a bad example just because there's always been sideboard answers in Modern for dredge and graveyard deck yeah well supposedly this last 2019 modern champion guy was somewhere in michigan or something like that tapped out the guys from tapped out were talking about how they brought a hogak deck because it was kind of assumed that the meta was going to be heavily centered around urzatron right and so they brought something that was unexpected which 
creates diversity in that meta and it helped him take first because yeah, sure. you, they just don't have as many answers. All right. So when we're talking about diversity, we have to consider the actual players involved, right? Uh, people have different styles of plays, so much so that Watsi has like their their nicknames for players, right? right? We've got uh, the Johnny, Timmy, and Spike. And each one of those have a specific style that likes play. Uh, Spikes are like the tournament grinders. You know, they're the, the competitive yeah. players. Yeah. Uh, Johnny's. Yeah, exactly. Johnny's are just like the play. They want to have fun. Like, that's the whole point of it. And Timmy's are just like, I just want to play big dumb shit. And that's me. You know, stomp around <laughs> a bit. Play aggro. <laughs> Mono red. With all of those ideas, we want to make sure that we're avoiding people playing the same deck all the time. People playing the same style, same cards. Yeah. And like Gary just said, if you show up to a tournament, it, chances are most people are running the same deck, which is whatever the best deck is right now. And then there's other contenders that are trying to mix things up. Yeah. So let's look at the actual diversity in Magic Gathering in general. At this point in time, there are over 20,000 unique cards. I think yeah, I did a, a search on Scryfall, and it was like 20,012. So like, Ooh, we're just, just like... We just barely there, broke yeah, it. <laughs> scraped through. The number that I was throwing around before was just over 18,000. I'm yeah. just like, turns out that's outdated by a little bit. Yeah, that was last year. Yeah. <laughs> so we so 2,000 yeah. cards. <laughs> So there is a caveat, of course, with saying that, you know, there's 20,000 cards in Magic. Not all of them are playable, really. I mean, okay, technically everything is playable, but not everything is good and not everything is viable for regulation or just like casual play. Yeah, most formats only use certain cards. Yeah, yeah. and so you have 20,000 to choose from, so why, are, why limit yourself? So I guess the opposing argument to that is, like Corey was saying, with especially in tournaments and competitive Magic where the literally the point of playing is to win, they start to gravitate towards the most powerful deck. So you find that there is power in uniformity. If you're playing something that is considered the best, the best 60 cards that are available to you in a format, you have a higher chance of winning, and then it kind of boils it down to who's the better Magic player. That's that's who's winning, is who really handles the gameplay the best. Yeah, um, and so with that, I just want to say that power is comparative. Right. Um, there's a reason why Power Nine and there's a reason why other cards are restricted or banned, you know, yeah. and because they are very powerful. So I just kind of want to take a, an example of an effect and look at cards that do it differently. And I want you guys to tell me which card is more powerful. Ooh. So first one we have is Touch of Brilliance. Three and a blue. Draw two cards. Sorcery. Like it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now we've got Font of Fortunes. One and a blue. It's an enchantment. Goes on to the battlefield. Also has an effect. One in a blue. Sacrifice it. Draw two cards. Effectively, four mana. Draw two cards. It's an enchantment, though. And th the, the cost is split, right? You could do that over two turns. Yeah. Right. Next one we have is Weave Fate. Three in a blue. Draw two cards. It's an instant. So, very similar to Touch of Brilliance. Just change the speed. And the last one is Divination. Two in a blue. Draw two cards. It's a sorcery. So, comparing those four cards, we have... The same exact effect, split over different mana costs, different timing, and different types, card types, yeah. right? So every aspect of a card influences its power level. And how you use that and when you use that changes how that card can be seen. Yeah, and then especially it even depends on what kind of deck you're running. So if you care about instant speed, then you might run more instant speed stuff. If you don't care about it, then divination is totally fine. But if you want enchantments, then you run font of fortune so right it just it depends on what theme you're going for as well 
Yeah, like I love Font of Fortunes because I'm an enchantment player, right? I pay two mana up front, I get an effect, and say we're playing, I'm playing an enchantress deck. Realistically, that card is giving me three cards off of it. Playing yeah. it gives me an extra card to draw. Sacrificing it gives me two. Plus it can help you with devotion if that's where your deck wants to be. Yeah, there's a lot going on with just that same effect, right? Yeah. Draw two cards. So you could, you could play on turn two and then on turn three, you can draw two while also having one more mana to do something else. While divination, you can only play it on turn three usually and it just draws you two cards and you won't have any more mana to do other things. Yeah, it's theoretically the best card if you're looking at it by mana cost. Yeah. But but having that instant speed playability that We Fate has or that instant speed activation that Font of Fortunes has also like can matter. And then we have just raw power level, like I said. And for that one, my example is just Ancestral Recall. What card is that? One blue mana. <laughs> what is that? Not one in a blue, but just one blue. Draw three cards. Literally every single card that I mentioned before this paying at least three mana for for two cards. Yeah. It's easy to see that this is objectively, in every way, better. And it's an instant. Period. Yeah, I was going to leave that just, you know, right for the end. But yeah, Corey jumped the gun on me. All right, so Gary, you mentioned I like winning as a reason just to play for uniform and play similar decks. Yeah. And first thing is just, just, I guess, Corey. So this is like, if anybody says solving standard or solving a meta, this is what we're talking about. So when they say modern is solved... Yeah, so it's just, we have the best deck right now. It's beating everything. I'm playing Arclight Phoenix. I can't lose. I'm winning every tournament. This is the best deck out right now. There aren't enough answers or counters for this strategy. It is the best one. Yeah, and we'll get into that more when we talk about metas in the the latter half of the episode. But that's basically like the idea, right? Um, If you're playing the game because you like winning, uh, remember that it is a game, right? What? For sure. It's It's a lifestyle. So what is the most important... (laughs) thing for a game to be successful you gotta enjoy it like people have to have fun people have to enjoy it for that game to continue to be successful and i think some people's argument is i don't have fun if i I never win and i think you know there are some people who literally have to win all the time to be having fun uh i don't think this is the game for you (laughs) because magic has so much variance so much skill involved it's really really hard to win even to be to even bat 500 like, even these pro players don't win every match, and they're the best of the best. You know what I mean? So, I think, like you're saying, temper your expectations of what that means to you. But if winning is a top priority, uniformity can help in in knowing what is the most powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, just all of, all of this, you know, have fun stuff, is that before every tournament, you know, pre-release, whatever, there's a saying that is always said around the match community. Good luck. Have fun. Yeah, it's all about attitude. Like, everyone is obviously trying to win all the time, but we're also trying to have fun and do cool stuff. All right. What about for people who have the excuse, I don't want to learn a new deck or strategy or play with other cards? I think that's also down to having fun. Uh, I think they are comfortable. I find myself sometimes in this situation where I'm like, I don't want to do a deck that doesn't interact with the graveyard. (laughs) I like my graveyard. Uh, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. That's a person's opinion. I don't necessarily think it's a good attitude to have as far as for a player or for the format or or magic as a whole. I think you should want to try new things just like you should want to try new things in life, in beers. Um, But I I certainly see that as 
an excuse that people will use to not diversify because they're comfortable with a way a deck sh- should play. Yeah. Know? The only time that I legitimately see where that's a good excuse is when we're talking about resource management, right? Yeah. If you don't have the time, the money, uh, any of the other you know necessary resources to invest money. in that. Right. Yeah, like, like we all want to play Legacy, but we don't have time or money to play yeah. Legacy. And like we can play Legacy Light, we can proxy but, it, but yeah. but yeah, I think it is a bad attitude to have. And yeah, why I are th- you being so stubborn? Yeah, I think just stepping out of your comfort zone in all aspects of life is a good thing, and it helps you grow as a player and a person. And so I don't think you have a really good excuse in Magic, especially because there's over twenty thousand cards. Like you can you can make it work. Yeah. You can find something else that's also fun. Yeah, yeah. Never say never. Yeah. Where there's a will, least, there's a way. At least just try it. You might not like it. You might not like hard control strategies, but yeah. other at least try thing. it. Yeah. <laughs> but, and especially if, if one of your other reasons to play is to be good and to win, I think that lends itself to that second point. You should diversify and you should learn how these other decks play because even if you're going to be uniform in what you're playing, you should also know how those other decks play because that's how you best combat it. If you're going to expect other players to play decks, you should know how best to beat them and how can you do that if you don't play those. Yeah, those and kind of last one on that is that Magic is more accessible now than it ever has been. Seriously. We've got two online platforms. One of them is entirely free to play. You can do everything you want as far as like standard and arena you know, uh, formats are concerned. This is the best time to have ever been playing Magic. Yeah, there's more Magic products coming out now than ever before. There's yeah. Always jumping on points. Yeah. And the last one, we've kind of touched on it a couple times here, but my meta demands it, right? And we will get onto that. That's literally what the second half of this episode is entirely. It's happened. Yeah. (laughs) So what about reasons for diversity? I mean, we've talked about some of them already, but I think at least for us who are primarily commander players as our main format. Commander Unlimited. It's fun, right? If you play the same deck and do the same things, it can be fun. It can be powerful. And there are decks that we love because we built them. We spent a lot of time on them. But Especially when we do deck roulette, and I grab the raise bore from Corey, and oh, I get favorite. more than one combat per turn. <laughs> Holy shit! You I'm playing a whole people. new game. You know, it's you. You get to have more fun and explore new territories. This game is complex for a reason, and it allows for you to put your imagination in this world and do all sorts of stuff. And there's no reason you shouldn't want to do that. Yeah, my Kaikar Storm deck is my favorite deck. You know, it has one of my it's wild favorite mechanics. Has a lot of my favorite cards, but I, that is the deck that I play the least because it's not necessarily fun to play against. You know, it's not necessarily the most fun to have a game where it. I joke around and call it, you know, my single player game. It, deck. it, it, it really like is. One minute turn, one minute turn, nine minutes a turn. <laughs> and so it's like, I understand. But it's a whole that, different way to play. Yeah. And even watching you play that, I go, holy hell, how do you cast you pl- so many You played 30 spells <laughs> yeah. in one turn. Jesus. Like, yeah, I got nothing to combat right. this. Yeah. So, like, playing new cards, playing new decks is fun. And I have a okay. question here, which is, why should we stop playing cards that are new to us at pre-release? Like, why is pre-release the only time you should play new cards? Because most of the time you only have chaff commons and uncommons. But those rares and those build-around cards, I think... All of us as a community should start trying to incorporate them. And obviously there's like standouts where like this is going in every deck or like yeah. I have the perfect deck for this, but maybe you should try looking at more cards and see like, oh, this can, I can try this in this deck or this fits in my tribal deck. I'll try it out. And the power creep is real. Yeah, no joke. And one more question just in this particular uh, subtopic. Have you ever had someone ask to take a picture of a card or write down that card 
because you used it and they were unfamiliar with it or they were just like impressed with the reasoning for you including that in your deck. Yes. Oh yeah. And it's always it always feels good. Right. When you, when you bust out this weird current people are like, wait, what does that do? Yeah. Mine was, the first time that ever happened to me was Hermit Druid, which I thought was a pretty well known card, but this guy was like, What the hell? You just put like thirty cards in your graveyard. Like, yeah. Because we don't like to talk about it. Yeah. yeah, first time uh, I played Chain of the Rocks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like it's like, wait, a one mana enchantment that exiles. Oh, but it's a mountain. Needs needs a mountain. Yeah, there's like so many specifics just to make it work, but yeah. it's so good and so difficult to interact with people. Just like, okay, hold up, hold up. Wait a That's minute. That's a problem. Yeah, even yeah. when I sit down with my Ilharg deck, people are like, wait, you're, what are you doing over there? How did you do that? Honestly, that's... It, it feels like the kind of addictive personality that a lot of magic players fall into. It's like that kind of like flexing on people, but it, it really is. It's like you want to discover new cards when you play with people and you want them to like your deck. You know what I mean? Like when you bring it, especially in a play group, like our meta, like when you bring a new deck, you're like, boys, I got something tasty. <laughs> Look at this spicy Boom, ball. You know? And everybody's kind of looking at that deck like, do I worry about this deck? What's going on? You know, that's, that's part of the fun. Yeah. And then just trying to wrap this bit up. If you haven't played it, how do you know that it's bad or that you don't enjoy it? Right? Like a good example is when we had Sean on the show. When he was looking at self mill and combo, he started with a deck that he net decked because he wasn't really sure, you know, if it was something that he get into that he yeah, enjoyed. He didn't know how to do it. And now it's his favorite thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> True. So every strategy, every deck, every card needs to have a first time that it was played, whether it was by you or someone else. It doesn't have to be in your playgroup. Somebody has to be a pioneer of that deck for it to get popular, for it to get into the meta. So why not let that be you? Yeah, and I guess it's just a different attitude to have, to having, like, you tune up your decks, but maybe you could tune them down a little bit and just try out these weird, wacky, fun cards that might put in work. They might be terrible, and then you just take them out. It's okay. So we're talking about diversity. There is a diversity of diversity there's a diverse way to diversify what you play um when we're talking about like diversity in decks you don't have to change every single card in your deck to make it more diverse right literally changing out a playset of one card can make a huge difference yeah, yeah and i think that's the best and worst part of standard is that it's always changing you're always switching things up do, putting in new places of cards trying things out and it's always the best when a new standard set comes into rotation because everyone's trying to figure out well, yeah. what the best decks are there are going to be cool people things who play are. azorius control pretty much no matter what but those decks every year look totally different sometimes yeah there's they have similar strategies but the actual cards and like weird nuances and interactions that people do i think that's why building decks and magic is just so fun yeah, yeah. the amount of time i spent deck building versus actually oh, playing yeah was so disproportionate for so long <laughs> yeah. because like we couldn't get a group together to play and so I like part of the reason why i started playing modern was because i was just like building all of these decks online and like trying to figure out when i could actually commit to them i was just like why not just do that and actually play games. <laughs> Weird. All right. We're all in that trap. While we're For reals. talking about diversity with this episode, I did try and do uh, my best to try and have a nice selection of beers here. So You did well. I'm going to start off with the Park City APA. This is, a, this is a redemption beer. I feel like it's something that we needed to come back to. And yes. it's something that we were very hesitant to do so because we didn't know what we're getting into. Turns out it's just a nice, lightly hoppy, 
American Pale Ale, lightly malty. Uh, we got a bad one. Yeah, you got you got to yeah, go back. That's to literally it. We what got happened. Burned, but yeah. now we got we got a redemption. All right, Corey, give us your thirty second summary. So the Yeti is fantastic. I don't really like Imperial Stouts, but this one is excellent. I don't know if I'd ever buy it, but I would definitely drink it if somebody had it or if I could steal some. <laughs> it's it's Whoa. very it's very malty. It's got that bitterness to it. It's it's what nine point five percent, so it's a yeah, seventy five in charge. Yeah, nine point five, and you you can taste the alcohol, and you can definitely taste all that malty goodness. So I think it's a really solid imperial stout, and that's weird coming from me. Yeah, I think first I'm gonna say we don't condone underage drinking. We don't condone uh, drinking irresponsibly. We don't condone theft yeah, of beer. Some of us don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm drinking this Uinta. Rise and Pine, and it is a hoppy dark ale. Rise and Pine, it's it. a breakfast beer. It's a breakfast beer, yeah. Oh, God, that uh, awful. I'll tell <laughs> you what. Wake you I up. am not an IPA guy, and this is very reminiscent of a heavily malted, lightly fruited IPA. It's very, very bitter, super resinous, and lingers for a long time. Honestly, it hasn't changed at all since the first taste, if you guys want to taste it. Yeah, this one hasn't um, either. It, I, I will say I've obviously grown a tolerance for these types of beers because this is absolutely one that if my brother was drinking this a year and a half, two years ago, I would have spit it out. I would have like, no, I'm not doing that. Or I would have swallowed it and never touched it again. I definitely can drink this beer. Uh, you have to really like pine and hop flavors because it's yeah. very forward. Yeah, it's not as it's not as piney or as like juniper-y as I thought it was going to be or as I kind of want it to be. Like, I kind of want more of that. You wanted that flavor, to torture me. But it's we, we really uh, did. more like malt heavy beer. And honestly, yeah. I feel like the flavor has changed. Or I've just been sipping on the Park City uh, APA, which is just all hop. Yeah. So like all of the other flavors are coming through. Yeah. It's it's like a burnt, not a burnt, but like a toasted malt kind of caramely undertone. But it's still very, very. Yeah. It's like a, a super malty IPA. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's strong. <laughs> yeah, the Yeti so like good, kicks you in the teeth with that. But yeah, the classic characters of... Uh, Tastes way more sweet now, though. Yeah, classic characters of an, an IPA do have that malty flavor. Yep. And so I think that having those flavors in the Dark Ale are pretty nice. But the Yeti is bitter. Like Oh, it's so it, bitter. Like that harsh coffee bitter. Yeah. Yeah, it's different from the hoppy bitter of the Rising Pine. Yeah, absolutely. But it still has that dark malty sweetness all right i like it though yeah let's talk more about metas so continuing our discussion on deck diversity i think obviously one of the triggers of decks being diversified is players choosing to play different decks but i think the real influencer in a lot of where magic is played is through the meta yeah especially what other players are playing and how you have to conform and or not conform in that meta, in that group. Yeah, so meta is like a weird term, but it's basically what everybody else in the ecosystem is doing. Who you'll play And against. how that influences everything else that is happening. Yeah, yeah. the meta is the concentration of the best strategies and ideas surrounding the gameplay. Yeah, so, so you can literally define, I, just really quickly, you can define meta you know, a whole bunch of ways. It's it's one of those words that can be applied to a lot of different things. Our play group is a meta. The five or six guys we normally play with on a regular basis. That's our local meta. 
That's yeah. that's even more local than a local meta, I think. That's like our personal meta. Whereas a local meta, maybe you do like I've been doing a couple pioneer tournaments at a local game shop where there's about 15 people from around my kind of region that will show up. That's also a meta. I need to be able to plan out for the decks that are in that meta when I'm playing Pioneer. However, if four of us make it, maybe top four of us go to a regional tournament for Pioneer, the meta has now shifted. It's not those 15 players we now have to prepare against. We have to look at the top four from wherever that region is and see what they're playing and plan for that meta. So it's just the grouping of what decks are going to be playing together. Right. Yeah, so the bottom line is that players want to win. So competitive environments are going to bring the new and innovative ideas to a point, right? Yeah, and so we were talking about earlier about people figuring out standard. And so the decks that win more are going to shoot up the ranks. Then people see those decks even more and then try and yeah. make those decks because they want to win, which push, push them further up the ranks and it causes other decks that maybe weren't so good or were not as powerful against these decks to fall down the ranks. Yeah. yeah. And with that, like standard's a really good one to use as an example yeah. because it has the <clears throat> smallest card pool, right? The smaller the card pool, the faster we're going to be able to narrow down the best deck. Yeah. And so by the time the next season of standard rolls around, everybody's already basically figured out the next deck and they're waiting for the next best yeah. deck. With a finite out. number of options, there will always be a best option yeah and i think the deck diversity is smaller and smaller the smaller the card pool is right because so, there's less options because there is medicine because there is competition that impacts deck diversity by limiting the diversity that it is going to have especially like solid metas are boring and unfun because there's very limited amount of options that you have you either play the best deck or you play the deck to beat the best deck yeah the the problem with standard is that it gets solved so quickly. And if you just even look at just standard with Oko, like it was just awful. Awful. Because you either play Oko or you play something to beat Oko or you just lose to Oko. Yep. And the problem with playing the deck that beats the best deck is it's usually heavy on answers for one specific deck and loses <laughs> disproportionately to every other deck in the format because you've loaded yourself with answers for only one thing. Yep. And with the, you know, the optimized decks, it almost comes down to just who can draw the most winning card. Who can first. get Oko first. Yeah. Yep. And so it's kind of like whose deck has been more optimally randomized <laughs> yeah and uh, or who's the better player yeah to me that doesn't sound very fun it's not fun to watch it's not fun to right. hear about it's like oh oko decks one again sweet yeah. right I'm, but I'm over i mean it. it's like aaron said limited card pools and limited uh decks in a meta showcase decision making and skill more than any other environment okay. which is why i think really competitive people like it more right because Yes, no matter what, when you're playing Magic, you are at the will of variation, no, ma no matter what. The deck's going to be shuffled, and you have no choice over that. But when you have a limited card pool and these really highly tuned decks that sort of play the same way every time you play them, as closely as you can get it, it like you said, you have to be the best player right. in order to win those games. Yeah, and then with that, this kind of the uh, idea, especially in like uh, esports and professional gaming on that side of things, uh, the thing in coaching and in like actually playing those is that there's an idea where it's not necessarily about being the best team. 
It's about who can make the fewest amount of mistakes yeah. and who can capitalize best off their opponent's mistakes while taking the biggest risk that you can without getting punished, right? right? And so you have to take these risks to potentially make mistakes and punish your opponent's mistake all at the same time. Yep. And that really kind of showcases, not, I mean, it theoretically showcases the best player, but at the same time, it's like if somebody makes a large mistake, that doesn't necessarily mean they're the worst player, but at that one moment, they were. They yeah. played the worst. So that's kind of how meta affects deck diversity, but deck diversity can also impact meta, right? It, True. We can use more diverse decks, different cards, different strategies to change the meta. I think Pioneer is a really perfect example of this because there was kind of the thought that there were going to be certain decks. I mean, obviously, especially when Oka was still alive. I mean, right. Unbanned. Uh, RIP. <laughs> yeah, at the very uh, beginning. It seemed like there was going to be a few decks that would be very powerful. And yet people chose not to play just those few decks and everything was powerful because you can't have answers to 12 different types of decks. You just can't. And so it boiled down to who had the best version of their wicked diverse deck that had enough answers for the meta, but also had enough unique strategy that it was hard to combat. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of like the basis for sideboarding as well, yep. right? Like you build your deck in a way that protects your strategy or defends against the threats that are against you. You almost right? build it to win the most often in a vacuum. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And yeah. So like you need to answer threats or interfere with your opponents. And yep. it's kind of like if most people are running the same lists, then the sideboard that they have is to basically combat their same deck. And when you have different options available to you in your sideboard to mix up your deck the most, like there are fully transformative sideboards, right? Your 15-card sideboard could be, you know, like a couple different lands and an entirely different color yep. to change your entire deck. And that changes how it plays, how it interacts, and can completely throw off an opponent. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a, a different way to sideboard because instead of countering the opposing deck with cards in your colors, you just shift colors and make a new deck that, You're basically that they can't it, Yeah, counter. harder to counter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... Playing against brave strategy. Yeah. <laughs> so playing against a new deck makes deck builders have to reevaluate the cards in their list and make hard decisions and update the current like meta thought list. Yeah, I Theros think, is a good example. I think when we do our sideboard episode, we'll go into this a lot further because it is so in depth, and you have to think of so many different variables when you're sideboarding, and even not just putting cards into your deck but actually making the sideboard and which yeah. 15 cards are actually viable for what you you're doing and the strategies you're trying to oppose right there's kind of the rock paper scissors of deck yeah. archetypes which has gotten a lot more loose since mid-range and uh since mid-range and tempo came in and when you look at it it's aggro beats control control beats combo and combo beats aggro but that's so different now yeah that's like the, the most generalized we can do yeah. yeah so like control wants to go to a long game it wants to use a finisher right yeah so aggro just beats it out by being fast and continually just chipping away at the life total control beats combo because combo is trying to set up a turn to win right trying to have something go off as it were yeah so they're really uh susceptible to disruption yeah yeah and then combo beats aggro because you don't care necessarily what your opponent's doing. You just have to get to your combo to win. Yeah, yeah. and aggro's not going to interact. They're just going to smash face. Yeah. 
So knowing your matchups helps you build to counter it preemptively. Yeah. But most, if not all decks, have a silver bullet. And what I mean by that is that, you know, through mythology and uh, lore, you know, we've got werewolves. And the one thing to kill a werewolf is the silver bullet. It's the only thing that can kill them. So it's their one weakness. Every deck has that one weakness. And if you can push that button, the deck just explodes. Yeah, and just to go back to Hoak Dredge, like Leyland of the Void, it was the most like sideboarded card. A sideboarded card because of Hogak Dread, because that was the best deck or one of the best decks. And so Leyland of the Void hard counters it, and there's a chance that you can always have it just play for free. Yep. And so. And all you had to do was play that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You just get copies of that just to have it. Yeah. And then when Dredge was like, the most prominent one, we also had Grafter's Cage, which is a two-mana yeah. colorless artifact that does that. And so the the deck saw a huge increase and then decrease because of the silver bullets that could just yeah. answer that because everybody was running them. Yeah, and I think uh, Wizards has gotten a lot better at printing answers for, sure. for a lot of these tragedies. And obviously, the answer to Oko was banning it, which is That's how you know you got to ban call. it. Yeah, because... I think with the best decks and the best formats, there's the best decks and there's answers to those best decks. And it might get boiled down in the long run to just playing the counter deck to whatever you're playing. But just I think having those answers means that the format you're playing is in a good shape. Yeah. I think I think sideboards are a perfect example of what diversity is and, and how it affects you because the cards that you have in your sideboard literally are so different than what's in your deck sometimes specifically because you have to combat anything and everything you might come across during a tournament or a, a set of games. Okay, let's get into diversity by format. So obviously we've talked a lot about standard and modern and sideboarding stuff, but I think commander and multiplayer formats, especially when we're talking about local metas, For sure. I think that's where we can really get into what people are actually playing and stuff. Multiplayer and and formats that are both eternal or close to eternal and have no sideboard. Yeah. So now your deck has to have answers to everything or you lose to a lot of things. Yeah, your answers have to be variable yep. in individual cards, right? Like Card having, quality has yeah. to go up. Having modal cards is so good in those environments. Yeah, in, in one of formats. Yeah, because you you have to be able to answer any single card can't just be a one-off and if it is it has to be like the pinnacle the best version of that card right pat the exiles towards the plowshares there's a reason why those are so coveted as removal spells and it's because killing something isn't enough right murder it's in the graveyard graveyard is, is one of like people's favorite things to interact graveyard's tight yeah graveyard is basically my second hand so getting rid of that entirely is like as far as you have to go yeah and you also need to make sure that you're not paying basically anything for it. Yep. I think sometimes you run into a, a dichotomy here where you want to have diversity, you want to have a lot of answers, you want to have the ability to combat a bunch of things, but you also want redundancy because it's a one-of format. You can't have more than one copy, and so you need to have multiple cards that can do the same thing Especially when you've got a hundred of them, you may never see that card. So you want to try and find ways to either search for those cards or have multiple copies of cards that do the same thing. So it, it's 
you're kind of diversifying, but you're also... Yeah, the irony is that yeah. like the more diverse of the answers and the threats you can answer, the less diverse your deck is because those types of cards are so limited. Yeah. And it's like, for me, one of the best examples is Bajukabog. Oh, yeah. It's a land that answers graveyard threats. Like... No cost. <laughs> virtually no cost. Yeah. Comes in tapped. Yeah. And you have to be playing black. Right. But yeah. with those two things, it's like, well, black is... The best. One of the most, you know, <laughs> played cards. Or yeah, played colors. I, I think, especially in our local mode, just... I think almost all of us have graveyard decks. Yeah. And so we just, we started putting Bajuka Bogs in our decks. We started putting Tormod's Crypts. We started putting uh, Scavengers, Field, or whatever the Exiles, all graveyards. But just cards that interact with graveyards because yeah. before we just had no way to interact with it. We had no answers. Uh, I think another one is protection, right? Like if you have a card that's important or a strategy that's important, you need something that can protect it. But if you only put one spell in your deck that can protect your cards, you're probably never going to find it. So you either need a lot of ways to search that up, draw into it, or you need multiple copies of a... Of a Very similar effect. Protection spell, yeah. And so you kind of become more uniform in order to be... <laughs> effectively diverse it's it's kind but of a weird even within a single deck you know there's still ways to be diverse but you also can have diversity in you know especially multiplayer formats by just building different decks and i True. think it's really important and this is one of the things that i i guess i've i've been criticized fairly recently about it about kind of like my stubbornness with it is that i will not build the same deck as someone else whether it's the commander or just like the the general theme and that's because it's not like super fun to do, in my opinion, and it's not super fun to play against. Well, especially when people in the playgroup are trying to play more tuned versions of that, because right. there are specifically cards that stand out as the best, and we, we call them auto-includes. You know, you hear this all over the Magic community. If you're playing a commander, there are some cards that are auto-includes. Right, and so with that, if somebody's trying, you know, a new strategy, has a new commander that they're looking at, encourage them to build that and try and... Help them build that. Don't... Don't poo-poo it immediately. Yeah. yeah. And don't, like... I mean, I guess kind of the, the running joke right now is, uh, Garen, you've got your Grand Augustine the fourth deck, right? That... Yeah. Fuck <laughs> everything about that. But, like, we still send you cards like, yo, have you seen this, this card? Dope. It's, like, it's like, hey, this card's really fucked up. Yeah. You could include that. Yeah. And just, like, going back to the idea, like, we all have graveyard decks, but they're all different. Yeah. yeah. Like, you run Muldrotha, I have Marin. Obviously... Marin goes in Moldrotha, but I'm playing Golgari and you're playing uh, Soltai. So they they ultimately are the same strategy, but they play very differently. Yeah, like they can well, decks yeah. can operate similarly, but feel very different to play and play against. Yeah, I think those two decks are actually a really good example because the way that I play Moldrotha, I have kind of a heavy lands theme, but it's also sort of a traditional reanimator deck where you're trying to hopefully self-mill a bunch of fatties, whereas Marin, you're, you're pumping out a bunch of little things and sacrificing yeah, to get those tokens to just freebie deck. all the time. Yeah. Uh, to me, I love Muldrotha. She's my girl. But I think Marin sometimes is more powerful and more scary because of the quickness of the way that deck plays. It's like, oh shit, Corey played a creature. We need to kill Marin <laughs> or we're fucked. Yeah, uh, and like to to that example, like I had a, a Moldrotha deck that I was building. And when you I, built yours, like one, I couldn't build mine because mine was entirely lands and was just unaffordable at the time. Once you built yours, like I stopped with that deck. Like I am not going to build that deck. Do anymore. you still have it? 
have some of the cards or yeah, was it all them? online? <laughs> no, I've got some of the cards. I think you should still build it. I, I think there's, especially when we're playing you, deck no. roulette. How he was saying it? No. No, just, I think it'd be awesome. Strip mine locking everybody. Lands, dude. Yeah, that's was, the thing is that's a whole different deck than mine. So yes, you'll see the same commander, but you're playing against a completely different strategy with completely different interactions. You, you're going to go, oh, I'm playing Garion's Muldrotha deck. Cool. And then all of a sudden Drew drops his Muldrotha. Oh, I know how to do this. No, you fucking don't. You're not going to have a land <laughs> right. for the and rest like, of the game. Normally I'd agree with you. Actually, no, normally I wouldn't. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> like, I, I will not build the same commander as someone else. Um, that's just hard, fast. I tore apart my elf deck because we had a guy in our play group. That just make a Damia deck instead. Uh, and you started to move into the lands sub theme because I think largely because of all of the cards that I was talking about and showing you the, how you can abuse it. Yeah. And like, I've, I've hurt myself in that sense, but at the same time, like, I've, I've accepted that I just am not going to build that deck and I've got, a, you know, a different deck that I will build lands around. Yeah. And so like, it kind of sucks, but at the same time, I think it's better for a group to not have that multiple commander. See, I, I think even if there's repeats, you should build the decks you want to build. But I think when you're playing, it's not like, okay, everybody play our Muldrotha decks. Yeah. I, I, don't, or, I don't think that's very healthy. But if both of you guys have Muldrotha decks, then it's like, cool. They probably do different stuff. You guys make different card choices depending on how you guys want to play. And I, yeah. I think that's good diversity. But if we all just net deck the most highly tuned Muldrotha deck and then oh, yeah. everyone sits down and plays it and is like, okay, I know exactly what everyone's yeah. going to play. Then I, I think that's bad diversity, especially. Sure. I think that'll hurt your local meta a lot. Which yeah. I think is a good reason for us to have this episode and talk about diversity because even though it is an expense, you don't necessarily have to buy the most highly tuned decks. I think it's, honestly, we've... Even recently, we've bought some precons because sometimes it's just fun to have something different. Uh, Anjay was like, "What is happening in Madness. this game?" I was trying to figure out what card you're talking about. Anya, Anya, Anya. Or Angie, Angie. I don't really. I still don't know how to say your name. I, I think I it's really. Anya. Anya. Just because well, the way the well, is like this whole madness discard deck, it functions so differently from basically all of the decks in our format when it gave we me first played cards with to it. Actually, build madness deck that I want to. Yeah, build. when we started playing with it, it was like, like, like dude, like this is legit. How do you combat that? Well, now you have to figure out a whole bunch of new answers. Um, it doesn't have to. I think there is an argument for a lower cost, lower tier deck that's super different in your meta as being almost as powerful as a highly tuned deck that's the same because there's just the not the answers for it. If everyone is playing lower tier decks, yeah, then it's still the same play value as when everyone's playing high tier decks. Like Agreed. we do have decks that it's like, okay, I'm playing my storm deck. Corey is playing his most powerful deck. Gary, you're going to whip out your most powerful deck. Like we're going to have that night, you know, that game in a night where it's just like, okay, you're playing Markov Vamps. Like, Markov is just broken. We know that. But also, I can just go off in one turn and win. You know, it's just like, we have that understanding that this is not a deck that we would normally play against other decks unless we have this kind of agreement that like, hey, this is how it is. And then politics comes into it more. And so I think that because it is a multiplayer format, um, Commander allows us to have more diversity. I mean, obviously, like, a heads-up game is going to be significantly more different than what the yeah, commander is. If you go and play commander, you can sit down with either one deck or you can sit down with 20 decks and be like, ooh, what do I want to play? Well, in a, like a, a standard setting or a modern setting, you're probably just going to take your highly tuned one deck 
yeah. and you've, play that you've all night. You've searched the meta and said, this is the deck I'm playing for this tournament. Or yeah, but especially in Command, you'd be like, okay, let's play our best decks and see who can go off. And then yeah. let's play our worst decks and see, see if, we can, see end if the we can if do we can this end the game before hours. turn 15. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think when it comes to like local meta and playgroup diversity, like my decision to not finish building the Muldrow with the deck. Like that's a conscious decision that I made. I, that's that's the yeah. thing is that you have to think about is that you do have a choice to do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> right. You like you do have that, that conscious choice to play different decks, to play different cards, right? Like you can speak with your wallet, but you can have a conversation. And I think that making those choices is the important thing, you know, and that's more important for your local playgroup because having a healthy meta is going to lead to a healthy playgroup. Yeah, and you just talk to your playgroup and just, if you need to, just set limitations, like let's make budget decks or let's not play CDH decks tonight or just stuff like that. Or this card is really, really mean. Nobody play that. Yeah. And like- Controversial topic. I think you should have a diversity- of playgroups. Yeah. I think there are sometimes, I see, we see, you know, we're kind of, yeah, (laughs) I I mean, we're involved in these discussions online because we're a podcast. You see a lot of people saying, oh, this guy in my playgroup won't allow this or, or my playgroup hates this and I don't have fun anymore. Well, power down a deck, play with that playgroup, find another playgroup that wants to play the way you want to play. And there's no reason why you can't do both and have fun every time you play just with different expectations as you play. Yeah, I mean, and if your play group can meld to that, and everybody can have different expectations for a different night, that's the perfect scenario. And if not, there's there's no reason to feel guilty or feel bad about sometimes playing at the shop and sometimes playing at home. Yeah, it's kind of like playing. Uh, again, I'm going to go back to esports, right? Like, there's teams that I've played with, you know, and you compete at a very high level. And I have friends that do not. So when I play with them, I have like alternate accounts or different games that I play with them. Right, and the point of those accounts and those games is to not play like yeah, that not strictly competitive. You're not going to yell at your not. friends for not backing oh, you. He still will. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'll, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll bitch at you. But like Travis is playing. Oh yeah. Well, uh, brotherly that, love is a whole different thing. That, well, that's. I mean, no. It's because it's because he. Yeah. That, he uh, it knows exactly what buttons to press. Yeah. On Drew. Good big brother. Yeah. Shouts out. But the the whole point with those is just that. I'm there to play with my friends and have fun. Right. And you've That's, tempered your expectations yeah. for those different like, scenarios. I, I know what they're capable of and I know, you know, where their limits are and what their peak is. And so I know that I can, like, it's, it's going to sound super like I'm condescending. full of myself and that it's condescending, is that I can play down to them, right? Right. And you should be able to do that in magic as well, right? Like, you don't always have to play the most optimized thing. And yeah. that doesn't have to be because your play group is bad at magic. No, it can be because they have a lower budget. Some people have real nice jobs and they can afford great cards. Fucking Cassius Marsh over there (laughs) just buying gold and everything. Uh, You know, you go play with him, you're going to bring your one really good deck, right? You're not going to bring garbage. The thing is is that playing with with Cash, though, like I bet any, any amount of money that he has just some like Garbo, Jank, Timmy deck where he's just like, all right, we're playing fours. 
All green. Everything is seven drop or more. It's probably judge promos though. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Out, but like. And, and the thing is, is he does that. I'm sure he would do that because he's a cool guy and he has tempered expectations. He likes to play, right? Yeah. He's not he's, there, he's there to, to have fun to show yeah. off. He might have a budget to be able to show off. Oh, he's going to show off, but it's yeah. going to be in a different way than like he's not just going right. to style on you. And, and if I you have friends like that, go for it. Play with them, but I think you should always be able to adapt to budgets or time or whatever it is, and still have fun with your buddies and enjoy the yeah. game. There's no reason not to. There's a reason why we have this podcast. We're gonna say this so many times. You're gonna hear it on it's so for many the money. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No. That's Stealing <laughs> as much as I put into this. Yeah. No. Uh, no, Corey, get out of here. Uh, it's because we have a group of friends I'm that hijacking. enjoy specific things. Right? Yeah. We enjoy magic and we enjoy beer and. It's our interest. But when I go play Magic at the shop, I'm not bringing like a six pack of my favorite beer. Like, yo, guys, all right, crack <laughs> open everybody's the cold one. Even you, kid. Yeah. Like, yeah, no. you know, there's there's certain things that you expect out of a play group and you do as Gary said, need to temper your expectations of what you're going to get out of that. But you're there to have fun. And that's the most important thing is that you need to be able to play a game. Yeah. Whenever I go to the shop and play, I'm like, okay, are we playing good decks, bad decks, or just fun decks? And that just, it sets the expectation. Just like how whenever you go and play with people that you've never played with or just at a shop, you should always ask what the power level is or what everybody's playing. Yeah, I always bring like three or four decks. Yeah. Just, and what's really fun though is that like sometimes my decks, which are of different power levels, is just like I'm the only person who has decks or I have like, you know, more decks that I can just like share with people. I'm like, I don't really know how my decks always play against each other. So it's just like, you guys can have... You know, like the ones that make sense. I'm going to play like the crazy jank or like you can play like the high power level. I'll explain how, what it needs to be done. Yeah. And then I'll just play like the low tier deck where I'm just doing something. Or like Nekusar is a really good example uh, for a deck that I play in like a new group. Because all it does is just make your deck better. Helps everybody. And kills you real fast. <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, it's not usually really fast. Like it definitely can. can but. Yeah. The whole point of the deck is to make everyone draw cards. And every deck is going to be better when you're drawing cards. Yeah. Whatever you do and don't do impacts everyone around you. So if you are a dick and an asshole in your playgroup, then your playgroup won't want to play with you. But if you are just a nice person that helps everyone play or encourages new ideas and different, like, expands your meta and opens people's minds instead of closing their minds, then people will want to play with you more. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't necessarily have to, like, say, hey, I want to, you know, change it up. But whatever you do, and this is like always my favorite point to bring up, is talk about it. Open your goddamn Communicate, mouth and yeah. say something if you have a is problem. The key. It's super fucking hard. It legit, legitimately is. Like talking to someone about something that makes you uncomfortable or something that might make them uncomfortable is super fucking difficult. It is. Anyone who says otherwise, stop fucking lying to the rest of us. <laughs> You're drunk. It, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Beers up. Yeah. But seriously, it's it's not easy to, you know, have an altercation to make someone uncomfortable, to make yourself uncomfortable. But having those conversations, especially in a, in a group setting, is important because it allows you to bring something up to better everyone else's experience, better your own experience. If you're having more fun, people around you are going to have more fun because you're not some miserable sack that's sitting, you know, on their own side of the table who's not engaging, that's just kind of like moping about. Yeah. I've been that person. It's not fun it, for it, everyone it else. Not. <laughs> like when I'm, you know, like frustrated or just <laughs> sad, you know, like I'm really bad if I like get land fucked and I'm just uh, Yeah, and we all get pretty yeah. pretty sour about so, it. I think that saying something 
you don't need to be confrontational about it, but you should be honest and you should explain why. Like, yeah. you need to, you know, not play with this play group. Great. I mean, fuck you, buddy. I'm that out. doesn't God, help yeah. Yeah, anybody. Like, no. But hey, you need to evaluate your deck level, your deck's power level. You need to understand that when these guys say they're playing a four, like they're playing super budget friendly builds yeah. and therefore it's probably closer to like your two or three. You know, if you're like a, a I was gonna say a legacy player, but you're not. Uh, but if you're like someone who plays you know, like e- CEDH and you bring, you know, your seven, it's not going to be reflective of their seven. No. And yes, that's just the way it is. I think just like we've said a million times, just communication, just before you play as you're building decks, just like talk to your friends, talk to your meta. That's all it is really about. Like we all want to play decks and have fun and ultimately win, but we don't want to lose friends or and everyone think of us as a dick yeah. for it. To me, if if I win a game and everybody was pissed about it, for uh, it's never happened to me where like I've pissed He's someone off. Game. <laughs> but like where I've done something dirty and like really fucked people I, over and pissed them off. But like I can imagine that game going on, that win's not going to be fun for me. Whereas even if it's close and I end up losing, if there was a bunch of stuff that went on and everybody had a good time and it was like, God damn, that was a crazy game. That's the fun game for me. Right? I like how we started this episode about diversity and now we're just talking about being a good person. <laughs> <laughs> just like when I made my Gaddock Teague deck, like it definitely did not help the meta and yeah. that's why I took it apart. But I think just being open is like, hey, I want to try this deck out. It's like, oh no, it turns out this deck is not fun for everyone. I'm going right. to not play it anymore. I think that's, that's okay to have happen. Yeah. I try new that. things. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's what we're all... Try new beers. Try new decks. Try new archetypes. Try like subscribing formats. to our YouTube channel. It's, it's 2020. We're all supposed to try new things. I'm currently building an Esper control deck. Oh, let's go, shit. Let's go. EDH or... Yeah, EDH. Nice. Well, guys, I mean, I don't know what else we can say about diversity except you need to diversify. doesn't matter where you're at. Diversify even further. I think it's healthy for everybody. It's more fun. And I think certainly this channel is on the the side of being more diverse, not less diverse in pretty much any and every way. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, we want to encourage you guys to head on over to YouTube if you're not there already. We're trying to roll out video. We're testing things as we speak, so we're getting closer and closer. Not that we don't have video already. Yeah, we're just, we're talking about live video of us. <laughs> well, our hopefully not live. Ugly yeah, ass. When you watch faces. this. Hopefully it's not live. Three hot, see, sweaty boys. Yeah, when you see us, <laughs> it's us in the past, not live. Truth. But go over to YouTube. We would really like the subscriptions. We've got tons of engagements already. Uh, we've got a lot of awesome messages and conversations with you guys, so keep that up. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube uh, at UUD Podcast and Untap Upkeep Drink. We're also on Instagram posting them sweet pics. Yeah, and speaking of which, uh, I've been kind of... We'll say lacking for Drew's Brews for the past. We we've been busy. Wow. Yeah. Turns out working thirteen to fourteen hours a day for six days a week uh, doesn't generally lean time to taking pictures or sitting down for a beer. True. So I definitely will be working on let's say more content there. Um, but when this video comes out, I'll have the reintroduction of Drew's Brews, and then for the next week. I will have one every day for that week. So whenever you're listening to this, figure out when that was published. Go back <laughs> and figure it out. We'll have it on there. There'll be seven in a row. Each one, uh, most of it's going to be dark beers. I'll be honest. That is what my collection contains right now. 
Uh, we're still in winter here, so most of the beers that I've stocked up over time have been dark beers because that's just my preferred, you know, drink of choice when it comes to that. But also just what a lot of breweries kind of pump out in the winter months. They're good beers, man. Good, to, good to drink when you're feeling a little chilly. Oh yeah, just like this Yeti. <laughs> that eleven percent, it's nice. <laughs> All right, guys, I think that's good for our discussion. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as we like to say on this podcast, have fun. And as cheesy as it is, be the change you want in your meta. For reals. Yeah.